You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Terry Riley, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus's Talk on the Hill. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Good morning, friends. How are you doing today? Good, good. I want to welcome our online folks as well. You're my friend. Thanks for joining with us. And uh, actually, there's probably a cute blonde or redhead or brunette or whatever she is today helping. And uh, I just want to say thanks to all those people that help online as well. You guys have been serving incredibly for the last uh, year plus. And uh, we're continuing with our online presence and uh, building that platform as well, because it really is part of our church. And uh, so thanks for joining with us. It's great to see you all today. Uh, If you would turn your uh, Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick it up today. Three big guys, man, on these huge Harley chopper motorcycles pulled up to a truck stop where the truck driver was, he was just perched on a stool and he's eating his lunch. So these three guys, and they're just kind of looking for some action. You know, they want to mix it up a little bit. So they grabbed some food and they walked in and they laughed in his face and kind of pushed his plate around and said, what are you going to do about it? And the driver said, I'm not going to do anything. As soon as they went and sat down, he went over, he paid his bill, walked out and they, uh, And the gal there, the waitress, she's talking to these guys serving him. And one of the guys, one of the bad guys looks at her and goes, man, that guy's not much of a man, is he? Did you see him? And she goes, yeah, I I suppose so. And then she looked outside and she looked at these guys and she goes, you know what? He's not much of a driver either. (laughs) He just ran over three bikes. And uh, (laughs) I love that. Uh, Can I just confess this in this morning? I, uh, that's probably, I don't know. I don't know what the Lord thinks about it, but sometimes these times for me coming to be with you are so holy. It's almost like I just got to go home and go, go crazy for a bit. And so this is, I don't do this very often, but every once in a while, I don't know about you. I've got this thing about revenge movies. Okay. Does anybody else have that kind of, does anybody else just go, come on, raise your hand, stand with, just, I ought to have you stand with me and say, I too am an Avenge movie lover, <laughs> you know? I do, I just, I, I, last one I just saw, I, not too long ago, I actually cried at the end of it. I did not cry. I just had my, t- my, I, my eyes were welling up because it was just so right. So I confess that to you. I'm working on it. (laughs) See, revenge is so sweet. I can imagine that 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 truck driver, as he ran over those bikes, just goes, yes. (laughs) And if I saw that on a movie, I would go, yes. But here's why for me, I I kind of, it's kind of funny, but probably not really. But that's why I kind of couch it, because I don't think Jesus likes me thinking like that. Because there are times when, honestly, I would like to retaliate for some things. 
If you have any kind of relationships, if you lead anything, if you have to make any decisions for anything, if you say and speak your mind about anything, you will probably come to points in your life, uh, junctures where something will happen or be done or said to you that you'll want to retaliate. And it's at those crossroads that each one of us has to make the decisions. What will we do? And Jesus comes today to say, you know what? Retaliation, revenge, and vengeance is not my way. As a church now for some months, we've been working our way through the teaching, Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I, I, I just believe, and one of the reasons why I sense the Lord speaking to me to, to, to teach from here is we have been in this season, in this last year that is so applicable because of the divisive nature and the vitriolic times that we have been in. It's been increasing in the world. I think social media plays a big part of it. But I also think it's the sinness of humanity that really plays the biggest part in it that we all have to deal with. We all have to come to grips with what's really in our heart. I see it, well, we all see it in politics. We see it at work. And can I tell you, I see it in church. The big C church, all churches, not necessarily this church, but where people can just hammer and speak against and talk down and have to be right. And then they retaliate if somebody says something to them or does something. And we've been watching that take place on the national landscape for over a year now. And see, here's what I know about the Sermon on the Mount, the talk on the big hill. Jesus' teachings, they are given to you and me, loved ones, so that when we make this decision to follow Jesus, we live differently in his kingdom than we do in the kingdom of this world. See, the Sermon on the Mount is really this description of what it looks like to live for and with Jesus in this crazy place that we call the world that I love greatly. But see, the reason you and I are here is that we would continually and constantly be challenged and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ for his purposes. <clears throat> Today, I want it, we're gonna look at what Jesus says about this humanly desire <laughs> these personal compulsions to get even, to take revenge. I don't know, maybe some of you haven't been around long enough or maybe you haven't been involved in these kinds of things, but I just want to tell you, retaliation, revenge, seldom have a happy ending. So let's read and see what Jesus says. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 38. That's funny. Pretty soon, I'm going to have to have a forklift to bring in my Bible. It's going to be so big. I can't read hardly any, you know. See how big my Bible is now? I used to have this really small one. I still can't read it. I think it's called extra giant print or something. (laughs) So hang with me. Jesus has talked about adultery begins in the heart, divorce practices, 
watch your life, make sure you're a truth teller. And then today he's talking about don't take revenge. Starts off again as he has all of his other teachings. You have heard it said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, I'm Jesus. This is my kingdom. Let me tell you what the expectations are. Don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, well, why don't you just let him take your coat as well? Now, by now, some of us, I'm thinking, really? I mean, <laughs> Jesus, wake up, smell the coffee. This, this can't be what you really mean. Because if you just do this cursory reading, that's just, uh, but no. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks of you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Well, that's what you've heard it said, but that's what I say. So let's kind of unpack this and see what Jesus was saying. He says, well, you've heard it said. One of the oldest laws that is known that's been on the books it appears in one of the earliest code laws, the Code of Hammurabi, written uh, for the Babylonians at least 20 centuries before Jesus appears. But, but scholars have ide identified this thing called tex talionis, which is the term for an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Because the, 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 mosaic, the, the mosaic law was part of this. It's, it's, it's as if they took part of the, the Code of Hammurabi and kind of used that a little bit in the definitions of the law that God established. Because there's several places in the Old Testament where it talks very clearly about tooth for a tooth, eye for an eye. Exodus 21, 23, and 25 says, if there's any injury, you must give <clears throat> life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. Leviticus 24, 17 through 20 says, if a man kills anyone, he must be put to death, whether he's done, uh, excuse me, uh, whatever he has done is to be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he inflicted on the person, uh, the same is to be inflicted upon him. Man, it sounds kind of ruthless, doesn't it? You blind my eye, I poke yours out. Now we're even. You bust my tooth, let me see yours. To paraphrase Tevier in Fiddler on the Roof, if we insist on an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, we'll all end up blinded and toothless. <laughs> I want to look at a few things that is important to understand in terms of the background and the context about this law that's tit for tat. Now, the law was judicial not personal. What Jesus is talking about here describes how a judge was to assess damages, not how an individual was to go and seek vengeance. See, these were things that were written and they were practiced in the context of Israel's judicial system as God gave out the law in Exodus, in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. It describes what the court would do 
how they would allow damages and how they would mete out damages. It's not a legal basis for personal vengeance. Like if one of you come up and did something to me, um, I would use that to say, okay, well, eye for an eye, whatever you did, I'm going to do. And Jesus is coming to the place where he's saying, that's not, that's not what's being said here. This was judicial, not to be personal. Also, law is the basis of our modern judgment, uh, justice. This law is a lot of it. See, we say this and we believe this, that the punishment must fit the crime. Theoretically, courts attempt to award uh, judgments cons- uh, uh, commensurate with the losses that have been sustained. Isn't that true? We, we don't break a man's arm and you go to court and say, hey, come here, buddy, let me break your arm. But what we do in our day is we try and assess damages. Uh, it, it could be just simply paying back, paying for the cost of medical bills, paying for the cost of time off or other for, you know, for, uh, you know, things that aren't necessarily specifically stated or seen they could say well for pain and suffering we're going to leave we're going to meet out this much long before Jesus' day the Jews were doing this same thing and before them the code of Hammurabi and Babylon they were doing the same thing the law is foundational to some sense of justice the punishment needs to fit the crime But this law was designed really to limit vengeance. In the earliest days, uh, vendettas and blood feuds were the norm in tribal society. So if someone in tribe A injured somebody in tribe B, well, tribe B would go after them and they would avenge whatever took place. But you know how that plays out, right? Pretty soon, after tribe B avenges on tribe A, tribe A says, you know, we're going to go back and we're going to do this. We're going to avenge on them again. And pretty soon, it just goes back and forth. Sadly, in human history, it's really littered with vengeance. I mean, starting with Cain and Abel, the nomadic tribes of Canaan. Every culture has these revenge issues. I mean, just the United States, who do we talk about when we're talking about revenge and feuding? It's the Hatfields and the McCoys. Sometimes it ends up in the divorce court. But the sad story of human beings is we want to take revenge. We want to get back at. But the problem is, is what we do is we might get back for a while but it never lasts because that person will come back to us. This law was designed to do two things, to establish justice and to restrain revenge. Crimes must be punished, but the punishment must fit the crime and come from a judicial system. Remember, Jesus started this section that we're talking about with, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He took the most righteous, the most devout people of his day that people looked at and said, whoa, that's what I aspire to. Now, Jesus clocks them all the time later on. But at that time, these would have been the people that were, oh, my goodness, that's who I want to be like. They're so godly. And Jesus is talking to them and other peoples in this sermon. And he's saying, you got to do better. You got to get this right. Because what they had done, they turned it into a justification for revenge. 
They extricated it from the court of law and basically put it into their personal hands to use it for personal relationships. And Jesus is saying that was never the intent and it doesn't belong in your hands. So Jesus has a better idea. And as he always said, you have heard it said, but I tell you, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. They said, get even with those who hurt you. But Jesus is saying, uh, don't get even. No matter of fact, I don't want you to retaliate at all. Don't resist any evil. evil. What are you talking about, Jesus? I mean, there's so many objections when we hear this that come to our mind. I mean, should a battered wife not resist or should she just keep leaving in abuse? Should a person not resist the crook who is trying to cheat them or steal from them or break into their home? Should a citizen not resist injustice? For example, was the civil rights movement the right thing to do? Well, I, I, think, I think it is. How it's, but how is it done? How did Martin Luther King determine to do it? His whole focus was peaceful protest. What should a policeman do? Should they not resist a criminal? Criminal, uh, Just let him do what he or she wants? Should a nation not resist an enemy who invades? Uh, do we not, do we just simply roll over for an Adolf Hitler and Osama bin Laden? Most of us would answer each of these questions with a loud, absolutely not. Evil should be resisted and punished. And everybody said, amen. See, the evil person should be stopped and justice should always prevail in us, through us, and around us. Unfortunately, because we're fallen humanity, every one of us fallen short of the glory of God has embraced sin, not because we sin, but because we're sinners. And there's people that take it many steps further into evil. What in the world does Jesus mean when he says, don't resist an evil person? Hear me, write this down if you take notes. Jesus' purpose is not to, for, is not to, for, Jesus's purpose is simple. It's to prevent and forbid personal revenge, never to discourage justice or evil to take place. That's so critical, friends. See, the word resist here is antithesomy. In the Greek, we get our word from it, antihistamine. It means to block. It means to stand against. So Jesus is saying, do you mean I don't stand against? I block? I don't block this thing? No. Many places in the Bible, Jesus commends us to resist evil, to work for justice. And Jesus is our best example at resisting evil and working for justice. He's the guy that gave women a place in ministry. He's the guy that raised the value of women before the people that he was uh, speaking to and working with for three years. He's the one that attacked evil head on. He often confronted the Pharisees, he's the one, remember, that looked at him and said, you're just a bunch of snakes and hypocrites. I would say that that's not the gentle Jesus that we always see. Many places in the Bible command us to resist evil and to work for justice. Jesus is our best example of resisting evil and confronting evil head on. 
He cleansed the temple. He drove out merchants that were really turning the temple into a place of commerce and money making and really going against every focal point of turning it into a place where people and seekers and finders could pursue God. He drove out evil spirits out of people. When he was falsely accused, he never accused back. When he was slapped, he didn't slap back. When he was spit upon, he didn't spit back. Why is that? Well, one of the key reasons is Jesus understood his purpose. He was coming to this world to what? To show them who God and what he was really like, number one. Number two, to save people from their sins. That was his mission. This is what Peter wrote about Jesus, who he walked with. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to his father who judges justly. Jesus resisted evil, but he never sought revenge. He didn't retaliate. Why? Because he could trust his heavenly father and his purposes and his calling for his life. In Romans 13, the Bible teaches that the state, the nation is God's instrument to maintain order, to do good and to punish evil. I think we would all agree that police need to resist evil. The courts need to resist evil and adjudicate justice. The military needs to resist evil that would come against us on our borders. Uh, Both Paul and James talk a lot about this, resisting the devil, resisting the evil one. This is not a blanket statement of prohibition against any resistance of evil. That's not consistent with who Jesus was and the life that he lived and the teachings that he left us and then the teachings in the rest of the Bible. That Jesus is not sanctioning evil or forbidding us to resist it or come against it. He's prohibiting taking revenge and retaliation. Still, it, it, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense and it doesn't make this any easier to embrace, does it? When someone hurts me, my natural reaction is to hurt them back. I was in a meeting a while back and just kind of wasn't a good meeting. And things were said and, and I'm listening and the whole time I'm listening, and I don't do this all the time, but in this situation, I was just said, you know, I'd just really like to tell you what I think and feel right now. And what I know about you. Help me out here. Isn't that kind of your natural? Is that your? Is anybody here got that kind of a natural response? You can raise your hand and confess it, so I feel better. You know, this is kind of like my personal cut. Okay, good. Listen, we're going to have a group with about seven of us here, and we're going to just have it the you know the confessors club. But that's I, I do I think that way sometimes. Right? Just I, you know, I'd like to give you a piece of my mind that I can't afford to lose. <laughs> That's my natural reaction, and I know that a lot of you are very holy, but some of you would be with me. 
It's, it's, you, it, see, that's the problem. It's totally natural. But God, Jesus Christ, calls us to a supernatural living. To move beyond the natural things, to live in the midst and the, and, and, and the arena of his supernatural power so that we begin to look and act and live like him. It's just like when he was on the cross, Father. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine Jesus just barely lifting his head, looking around, Father, would you just forgive these people that I'm dying for? And many of them kind of put me here. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, Jesus gives four illustrations here <clears throat> on practicing active love rather than retaliation. I'm going to try and get through these. It's, uh, I'm trying to stick to my notes today because I sometimes get off and uh, because I've got a little bit more content today, I want to make sure that I get to it. So I'm going to stick to them my best I can. So he, he gives these four illustrations. The first one, he says this. He says, uh, someone strikes you. Matthew 5, 39. On the contrary, if anyone uh, slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. That's impossible. What is your automatic reaction if someone hits you? Well, I guarantee you, if you're a guy, it's going to be to hit back. If someone yells at you or insults you, what are you going to do? You're going to stand up for yourself. That's not true. And you're going to defend yourself. You're driving and someone doesn't like the way you're driving. And he does something or she does something. They give you this, this intentional hand salute. <laughs> they're speaking in other tongues and you know what they're saying because you can tell on their face that they are not happy. Our immediate reaction to insult or injury is to respond in like. But Jesus, he gives us this unnatural, counterintuitive way to respond. He says, don't retaliate. Turn the other cheek. Well, what if someone wants to do me bodily harm? I mean, shouldn't I defend myself? Does Jesus just really want me to stand there and just take a licking? Well, note what it says here. This is a little detail. It says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek for, for the sake of stereotyping men have a tendency not always but a tendency to you know to engage in fisticuffs more than women not that you don't but it says here if a man slaps you on the right side of the cheek you know how the only way that if I'm going to fight Chris the only way that I can I'm, I'm right handed so sh should I just no, yeah, there you go. He'd probably beat me and I'd be in trouble. But see, if I hit him, I'm going to hit him on the left side. But here's what Jesus said. If you slap somebody on the right side, the only way that I can hit him on the right side is to go like this. Backhand him. In Jesus' day, leading into that, that was like a major challenge and a supreme insult. It was just like, you're nothing, and here's my challenge. It was insulting. But I could never beat, I could never beat the stuffings out of him by just backhanding him. 
See what Jesus is saying here? It's not talking about those times when someone's coming to beat you up. He says when someone comes to insult you, when someone comes to dismember and put down and diminish your honor and your dignity, and that's usually what they do verbally, isn't it? He says, that's when you learn how to respond in Jesus' name. So Jesus is saying, when you're insulted, let it go. Don't retaliate. When, when, when your honor has been challenged. Okay. That's how you feel. If that's how you see this. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying let somebody just come and kind of kick the snot out of you. Because that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that someone insults you. We don't do, it doesn't mean that to us here in the United States. In our culture now, probably very few places. But what he's saying is, is don't let verbal assaults take you down. Don't take that and then say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to escalate this. I'm going to ramp it up. Secondly, he says, if someone sues you, verse 40, he says, as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, you know what? Give him your coat as well. Don't retaliate when someone sues you. Uh, if someone wants to take you to court and sue you, he says, well, give him your tunic, your tunic or your shirt. Let him have your cloak or your coat as well. Often, in these courts that when Jesus was talking about, if a person was poor and they just didn't have any means to be able to pay whatever the suit was determined to be paid, a lot of times they would pay with clothing. Well, you know, man, I got three pair of Levi, hardly been worn. I don't know how they did it, but, but, but they would actually pay in clothes. Now, we see here he talks about a shirt. Uh, most people, even poor people, probably would have had at least two of those shirts. But it would probably been the more well-off. Or a poor person could have had one of those coats. But those coats were so heavy, they could have also been used as a blanket. So the law said you can't take that. If you do, you take it. But they have to, you, you bring it back to that person at night. So they have their bedding, so to speak, if that's how they keep warm. But Jesus says, if someone sues you, you've got to be willing to give up your coat as well. Go the extra. Why is that? Because what he's, what he's probably alluding to is you're getting sued for something that you did. Therefore, if you lose, if the case goes against you, if the verdict goes against you, then not only give him your shirt, but give him something more. Give him your cloak, your coat. Because that's how we do it in the kingdom. See, nowadays, though, in this kingdom, it's, and, and, and listen, I'm not here to talk about law and, and everything because there's times where you got to fight for yourself. So I'm not, I mean, you know, but, but sometimes people use the law just to get, but not to protect. And Jesus uses an illustration from that day that I think is very applicable for our day that don't try and take advantage of people. Don't try and get more than you should. And if you're the one at fault, don't be afraid to give over more. It's almost as like a, a statement of repentance or regret or I'm sorry for doing this. Can you imagine doing that? losing a case and you know deep down inside you lost 
and you say, you know what? I'm gonna get, I, I, I need to just do something else for this. Imagine, and I've walked through people going through a divorce. And I've seen people say, you know something, I caused so much harm in this marriage, I am going to give them more than they want. Uh, Jesus says, if someone forces you, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with, go, go with him too. Uh, give to the one uh, that he asks you to go on, but don't turn away from the one. Uh, excuse me, I'm, um, to go the extra mile, go with him too. Let me stop there. Uh, Jesus speaks into those people in Palestine because they were in an occupied land. The Roman Empire had troops and garrisons of Roman soldiers stationed in Palestine to remain and to maintain order. The law was that a Roman soldier or officer could actually commandeer somebody to carry their pack for him. So if I'm a Roman soldier and I got to walk down to uh, what would be a mile to my home, I got to walk home and one of you were just a... Palestinian Jewish person, I could look at you and say, Perry, here's what you're going to do. Here's my bag. Here's my stuff. I want you to carry it for me for a mile. Now, this was repulsive to the Jewish people because not only did they hate the Romans having jurisdiction over them, but they hated them that they could conscript, conscript, conscript them for a mile. And that was the law. And Jesus says, I know you hate this. <laughs> You're going to be asked to go one mile, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is our kingdom, my kingdom. We're going to go two and do it willingly. Story, gracious story of, it might be folk, a folk story, but of a young man who heard Jesus speak these very words about going the second mile. And as he walked home one day, a Roman soldier gruffly pulled him aside and told this young man, I want you to carry my, my bag for a mile. It was a hot, hot Palestinian afternoon. And so this young man, he shouldered the heavy pack and while he's walking, he's quietly cursing the Roman soldier and his bad luck that he ran into him on this day. The pair began walking in hostile silence. You could cut through it. But as they walked, the words of Jesus began to come back to him that he'd heard. Where it said, go the second mile. But he did, I suppose, what I've done way too many times or what some of us might do is he said, oh man, that's, that's just me thinking. And he just kind of angrily dismissed it and said, that's, too, that's unreasonable. We're not going to do that. But as he kept walking, these words began to haunt him. And by the time they arrived, they got to the one mile destination. The guy says to him, okay, it's a mile. You're free to go. And he reached over to grab his bag. And this young, young man looks at him and says, no, no, let me go with you another mile. <laughs> and the, the soldier's kind of laughing at him now. He says, has the sun made you crazy? Are you, had not had enough water? Are you, are you not hydrated enough? What's your problem? Why would you want to do this? And the young man smiled and said, give me your bag. He says, I'm going to walk with you another mile. The soldier was so taken back to them, they began to talk about things like their homes and their families. And this 
this itinerant rabbi who's giving these kinds of teachings, like walking the second mile after the first. And at the end of the second mile, they smiled and they parted ways. At home that night, the young man told his parents about this walk and how this guy had asked him to carry his stuff for a mile. But he said, you know what? I'd heard these words and I decided to take them a second mile. He said, why and what happened? He replied, I walked one mile to fulfill God's law. I walked the second mile and I made a friend. See, here, here, here's how this works, loved ones. Not always. But it's, it's the only way sometimes people are going to see Jesus in us and through us is when we're doing those kinds of things that are so unnatural to our world, to our setting. What if someone asks you, what if someone asks you, and Jesus says, I want you to give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away, don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now remember the context here is don't resist an evil person. So who would that be an example of? Well, I think that we can apply it to the person who has no intention of giving back or repaying you. A, a person that is taking advantage of you. <sighs> That's really difficult for us. I've told you this before. And some of you tell me I'm stupid, crazy, and I'm probably both of those. But I told you, it's not unusual for me to give money to beggars, to homeless people. And it's not unusual to be a five or a 10 or a 20. Not all the time, but probably more than a lot of people. I don't tell you that to brag. But I tell you that because I want us to understand that sometimes civility and kindness, and I know we can go on the continuum of how much are you helping and how much are you hurting, how much are you enabling and how much. When I really feel like the Lord says do it, I don't ask those questions. Okay? And it's not because I'm so spiritual. I don't want you to think that. It's just that's how I've tried to operate. I know there'll never be a return. I know there's probably no chance that they'll ever be in church. I know there's no chance they'll ever see me again and go, oh, you're so kind. Or they'll see me again and say, thank you. Or they'll write me a thank. Whatever, whatever I would want, I know that that's not going to happen. Here's what I learned about homeless people not too long ago. The thing that, and, and, and this is a trap too in some ways, because this is, this is what someone tells me. Don't look them in the eye, because if you look them in the eye, they grab you and they say, here's somebody. But the reason that I have to look most of them in the eye is because they're people created in God's image. And I don't like it when people blow by me and they won't even give me a, you know, they, 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 they won't even look at me. I, 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 you know, I'm kind of sensitive, so I feel kind of devalued. And that's what, the, that's what this person taught me about the homeless, that the one thing that people never do for them is look them in the eye. They just look away and keep going. And I know some of you would tell me, as some other people have told me, yeah, but when you look them in the eye, you become a target. And I go, so what? Does Jesus really expect us to give indiscriminately? To give to anyone who asks regardless 
of why or what the need will do or what they will do with it or how they'll spend it? No, I don't believe that. I'm not telling you today to go out and give money to every homeless person that you come in contact with. Here's what I would encourage you to do is to make sure you make eye contact with them and just give them the gift of dignity. And then if you feel like, if you feel like the Lord is speaking to you to give them something, then do it without thinking about what are they going to do? What's going to do? But I'm not asking anyone to give anything. I am asking we give people dignity because that's what Jesus is saying here. And then he is saying that when you give, it's don't do it with an expectation. For many of us, our predisposition is simply to say no to those who ask us for something. I think Jesus would like for our predisposition to be more toward yes. Rather than a, for some it could be a tight-fisted stinginess and for others it could be cynical skepticism. And neither of those look good on anyone. Jesus is, is encouraging this open-hearted generosity that's always prompted by love and giving value and dignity to the people around us rather than simply looking at them and resenting those who ask. Our response, whether we give them anything or not, should always be a warm-hearted desire to at least speak something of the gift of life to them and Goodness. See, each of these things that Jesus says is totally counterintuitive, unnatural to the order of life that you and I know. When slapped, we want to slap back, but he says, no, no, just turn the other way. Let him do it again. When we get sued, he says, you got to fight back. You got to get all you can. Don't give more. When you're forced to do something that you don't want to do, keep going. When asked by someone that I know won't repay, that I don't want to give to, at the very least, give them the dignity of looking them in the eye and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Is there anything else? So how do we do this? Well, let me just give you a couple of things that I've, I'm learning. First of all, re realize Jesus is at work. He's at work in you. That's what the kingdom of God, that's what the kingdom of Jesus Christ is all about. Philippians 2 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed. Dear friends, just as you've always obeyed. The Sermon on the Mount came before this. So no, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing and complaining. I'm going to add, don't be vengeful. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation who are thinking totally against the kingdom of God. That's my addition. Among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Uh, what, what, what do we uh, hold fast to the word of life? This isn't, this is about not preaching. This is about our life becoming a word. God's word to people as we live, where we're just free of complaining and ah, 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 and retaliation or cynicism. 
It's because we know that Jesus is at work in us, through us, and around us. Our lives become this living navigational point for other people's lives because they see how we respond to every situation that we're in. As Christ followers, we have to know that Jesus is at work in us and how we react to people and the circumstances that we're thrust into or confronted with shows where we are in that work process. Uh, the, The term that Paul uses here, work out in the Greek, it has to do with working a field because the worker, as he works this field, he's gonna receive the benefits from his diligence. A part of the idea too is bringing something to completion. You start it, you keep doing it, Doing it. You don't quit. Paul's saying, don't stop. Keep going to the finish until God's work in you is complete. And the promise in Philippians 1 6 is that he will complete the work until the day of Christ Jesus or you die. <laughs> so this work is ongoing. But some people become so frustrated with the building and working process of God because they believe Jesus does all the work. And he starts it. As Paul said in Philippians 1.6, people get frustrated because they believe that they've got to do all of the work. Like it's, that's, that's, a, that's a spiritual treadmill you don't want to be on. You have to see what Paul says here. He says, work. You cooperate with the works and purposes of God and what he's doing in you. You cooperate with it. That's why I say, I'm not telling you to go out and support the homeless and pay for them and do this. You're probably doing something else. But just ask the Lord. Be open to working with what he's working in you. Listen, the reason, and I'll I'll tell you this, the reason that I had to start doing this some years ago is because I was becoming cynical and I was becoming stingy. That was the work that God was doing in me. And he says, I want you to be blameless. He says, I want, I want it to be blameless it has to do with the idea that there's nothing, there's nothing found in you. There's nothing, there's no big sin. There's no character defect that anyone could put a handle on and use it against you and say, I can't believe you're a Christian. Pure just simply means that you will not choose or you will not do anything to purposely harm another person by exposing, exploiting, attacking, or showing or sharing a weakness that they have. But you'll be like Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, right before this, where he comes to encourage and to bless and to build up. Yeah, he'll challenge. But to be a person who is edifying and building up others. The last one is respond to God. Don't react to people. In every situation, we have a choice. We can react to the person who is provoking us or we can respond to God who calls us to active love rather than relational or personal retaliation. It's a choice. Who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to focus on? Am I going to listen to God's voice? Am I going to listen to my voice? Or the enemy's? Jesus is always there, loved ones. Romans 12, 18 through 20 says this, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord.
So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you'll be reaping fiery coals on his head. Now, it's, and, 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 you know, the attitude there is, okay, I'm going to do this. I want to you know, heap coals on this. No, no, that's not the heart. The heart is I'm going to do this because Jesus has done this for me. That's our call, loved ones. It's what Jesus is calling to live a different life because we walk and we live with him. Would you stand, please? Would you just take a moment and just kind of close your eyes and make yourself a little sanctuary right where you are and just say, Lord, is there anyone in my life that I've wanted to take vengeance on that I just need to give to you and begin to treat them with kindness and love? Maybe for others of us, is there, Lord, there's Sinison is becoming more and more entrenched every day, every week in this hostile kingdom of this world that I live in. And maybe you would just say, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, would you begin to extricate, help me to cooperate with your works to remove those thoughts, cynicism, looking down on people. Lord, the reason you give us these lessons, these talks, is because you're showing us how inadequate we are without you, how unable we are to live the kingdom life without you. Everything is to point to you that we just come and we say, oh, Jesus, without you, I can do nothing and I pray, Lord, that our church, I pray that this pastor, that we would hear these words in, in no way as condemnation, but as simple challenge to live as you live. Because you said, blessed is he that does my word, hears my word and does my word. So help us, Lord, to make application to our lives as you see fit, not as Terry sees fit or how it applies to his life. But Lord, you speak to individuals. You do it so much better than I ever could. And help us, Lord, to be people that are never vengeful, retaliatory. But we're, we'll go the second mile. We'll turn the other cheek. It's not our name at stake. It's not your name at stake. We trust you. And I thank you, Lord, for a congregation that, would, that comes to sit and to simply hear what is Jesus saying to me on this Sunday. And then, Lord, help us to absorb and to take in. And then just take one thing. This week, I want to I deal with my cynicism. I want to I look somebody in the eye and give them dignity. 
And if you're here today, if you're online and you've never received Jesus, you've never crossed the line of faith, you've never said, I, I want to follow Jesus, I encourage you to do that today. Uh, everybody makes it sound like it's the panacea of life. It is the, it is the pathway to true life, but I'm not going to kid you and say it's easy. I mean, just listen to this morning. <laughs> but you feel so much better when you forgive and let go and release then when you figure out how to hammer, to bludgeon, and to belittle. Oh, you feel so much better. And so, Lord, that's what we want to do. You said that you call us to suffer like you suffered. So, Lord, help us to live that out. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, would you embrace the suffering one? If you're online and you've never received Jesus today, I encourage you, I challenge you to consider his claims and purposes for your life. And that today you would just simply, there's an icon there, a hand that you can push, you can click and say, today I choose Jesus. And if you're in this room today and you've never made that decision, I invite you just to raise your hand and I, I want to see, I want to just see you and pray for you. I won't call you out or anything, but if you have not crossed that line of faith today, I, I want to pray for you and just raise your hand so that I can see you if that would be you. Is there anybody here today? I'm looking on my right to your left. Anybody over here? Okay. Anybody in the middle on the left side? You say that's, yeah, that's me, Terry. Okay. Okay, church, we got responsibilities to go reach people for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thanks for today. Thanks, Lord, that your life is so life-giving and it's never easy, but it sure is good. And I pray, Lord, for Creeksiders that in this season that we, we just see people as you do. Extend our vision, Lord, for people extricate from us anything, Lord, that would besmirch our blamelessness before people and our purity to live before you. Help us to see and to cooperate with your works and your purposes. And I thank you, Lord, for each person that's here today online, that, Lord, we're here because we want to follow you and serve you. For that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen.